What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's Jaw Raps, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how you doing? Can we talk about this John Wall Tower Hansboro thing? Because I'm fascinated. Have you heard about this? You're going to have to educate me. So John Wall was on, I think it's called the Run Your Race podcast. I don't know anything about it. I just saw the video. And he was talking about all kinds of different things, apparently. But one of the things he said was he was talking about his recruiting. And he said, I wanted to go to North Carolina. North Carolina was my dream school. And that, right, so he was taking his visits at the same time that the Ty Lawson Tower Hansbro team was coming off that national championship. So sure. he said, you know, I went to the, I went to campus. I was really excited to meet these guys. I think Ty he said Ty Lawson was the guy who kind of orchestrated this visit. <laughs> and then he said, and I was really excited to meet Tower Hansbro because, you know, he's from that, he's from North Carolina. That dude is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And he said, Tower Hansbro informed him he didn't talk to recruits and wanted nothing to do with them. <laughs> And then John Wall proceeded to say, North Carolina was the only school that could have gotten me to not play for John Calipari. And you know, that was not about to happen after what I experienced with Tower Hansbro. Then Tower Hansbro came back. Somebody told him about this, apparently. Uh-huh. And he sent out a tweet saying that is completely false. And then basically implied that everybody knows the reason that John Wall went to Kentucky and it's called money. Mm. <laughs> So I don't know what actually happened. I'm just confused how we have such different stories, but I'm fascinated by the whole thing. Yeah, you know, that's that. this is a great example of two irrelevant NBA players. <laughs> one one no longer NBA player and one completely irrelevant NBA player trying to be relevant again. He also took a shot. He also, at, at one point, I saw that he was on this podcast. I didn't see the Hansborough thing. Because at one point he was talking about being in Houston and Houston wanting nothing to do but win games. I mean, sorry, lose games. Yeah. And then he took a shot at Justin Patton. Yeah, that's what Why I was going to say. Yeah. 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 And poor Why Justin you Patton. Why Justin Patton like that? And poor Justin Patton was like, man, I thought John Wall and I were cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That's John Wall knows he's irrelevant. John Wall knows that nobody cares about what he does on the basketball court anymore. And every time he steps on the court, people are like, oh, right, that guy sucks now. So he had to find another way to be relevant. It is what it is. Um, but like, I like that would be a really weird thing to make up. If, yeah. if you're John Wall, like, like, <laughs> like a really weird thing to make up. And then the other, and part I is- also like, like that seems a little on brand for Tyler Hansborough. Like Tyler Hansborough kind of like that doesn't, you saying that did not surprise me that he would have said something like that. Sure. I don't, the- I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah. The other mental hurdle I'm having with this is my initial kind of reaction when I saw John Wall say that was, wow, you really have to – I just thought North Tower Hansville cared more about North Carolina than that, mm-hmm. which I have no real foundation to base that off of other than what Tower Hansville needs means to the University of North Carolina. Mm-hmm. That That's real, right? Because it's all about investing in – you know. To, for example, we'll get to this Marquette game, right? Dwayne Wade and every single one of his teammates from that Final Four team was back at Marquette last night. Right. To go honor their – to get their little celebration and all that kind of stuff. You know, I, I just feel like it It has to mean more than to just kind of dismiss the next potential generation of players. I don't know. It's just strange. Yeah. It's weird to just make something like that up now when Tyler Hansbro is not, you know, at the forefront of anybody's mind. It's just strange. 
but it's a very interesting college basketball recruiting drama that mm. I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Drives me a little bit crazy that like so many people care that like, <laughs> like who cares? Who cares? And apparently the, and the answer is way more people than, than makes me happy. That's the answer to the question. Oh yeah. Um, that, that Tyler Hansbro tweet was getting some traction. Yeah. Like, like, Yeah. <laughs> This is why this is why media is absolutely impossible because the <laughs> audience is not interested in intelligent conversation actually. They're just in, they're just interested in drama. That is what it is. Um I like the the I I hope that's the last time we talk about John Wall and Tyler Hansborough on the podcast because <laughs> I fancy this podcast a place where we talk about relevant things and those two guys are not relevant in their space anymore. So um, college basketball, it was going to be a, a a Big Twelve centered podcast for the most part. You had a good you know on the on the docket last night. You had a good Big East game between Providence Marquette. Speaking of. Uh, Dwayne Wade and the Marquette guys being back in Wisconsin. And then there was a, you know, you had a a thrilling night of big 12 basketball two nights ago on Tuesday night. And that was going to be kind of the, the cream of the crop of the podcast this afternoon. And then we had a, a really interesting night in the big East. Um, You had a, you had a quality, another really good win for, for Marquette, um, kind of doing what they do and scoring eighty plus points over and over and over again, and you know there's there, there's certainly things to talk about there, but the real story is that Xavier goes to DePaul and and loses as the number eight team in the country to the Blue Demons, who are now nine and ten, seventy three seventy two the final score there. And then at the Prudential Center in Newark, the Connecticut Huskies, UConn, Dan Hurley's group, gives up 17-point lead and loses by one to Seton Hall. So we will we will certainly talk about this Marquette Providence game here in just a moment. But um, you know, I, I, to a certain extent, every you know Xavier gets a you know at some point everybody's going to have a bad game and things aren't going to go the way you expect them to, to go. Um, but UConn now four and five in the big East under 500 has, have lost four of their last five since starting 14 and zero on the season. And it might be full panic time in, in, uh, in stores. Do you have anything you want to touch on between either of these games? I just continue to be confused by UConn. I've got nothing. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense to me. We've talked about some of the issues, and right now they're blowing 17-point leads. It just seems like they're losing in about every way imaginable where not, it, there's there's no real way to just kind of isolate it and say this is what's happening. Where, you know, Alabama, we I just keep going back to this because it's the best example, right? First thing you look at when Alabama loses, or when Alabama, and this year they've been much more consistent, but when Alabama pulls off a, a, made, a big-time win, Three-point line, right? It's just kind of how it's going to – it's going to tell most of the story of the game. And we've talked about, you know, sometimes it's the lack of bench production. Sometimes it's not a Dama Sunogo. Sometimes it's the guards. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's the free-throw line. And they're just 
is never one consistent thing, which I think is the problem is that I, I can't isolate something to fix if I'm Dan Hurley. Mm-hmm. They just got to be better. On the Xavier side of this, I mean, that that offensive performance was just tough to watch. They didn't move the ball well in the first half. Then they finally started moving the ball better and just couldn't hit a layup. And, you know, that, what was it, the second second to last possession? I don't even remember the, ser- the entire series of events where Jack Nunji, you know, Sully Boom gets a good look. Jack Nunji has two putbacks that he should make mm-hmm. and they can't get they just couldn't get the ball to go in the basket <laughs> and then and ran an absolutely stupid sideline out of bounds play in the final possession yeah that didn't go so well like either. like yeah. what do you do like that's the best you came up with okay and it you was, know it wasn't a third read because right after the guy handed him the ball right after the ref handed him the ball he threw it across the court so like that was the play i don't understand like the best shot you're getting there is a fade away with the hand in your face you got to come up with something better than that. Yeah, it was, it was just a tough. I mean, nobody saw it coming against DePaul. <laughs> it was just one of those games you're going to have sometimes where nothing goes right. You know, Sean mm-hmm. Miller was really frustrated with the ball movement there. I think they were entered the game number one of the country in assists per game, and it just they couldn't they couldn't pass well. And then it started to get better, and they couldn't make shots. Sully Boom couldn't make shots. You know they couldn't hit threes. I mean, they are, and still they almost found a way to win. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried in the slightest about Xavier. To me, that's just an aberration. But it was very bizarre to watch because that team is way better than that offensively, and they have been this entire season until it just all fell apart against DePaul. Yeah, I mean, you know, four of twenty six from Colby Jones and Sully Boom. Yeah, you're not going to win that basketball game. You're just not, and. DePaul is bad, but got just barely enough. Emoji Gibson, shout out. Yeah, Big he had a really, really nice good. game. Um, 22-5-3 and three for him. Javon Johnson had 16 of his own. That's kind of been the nucleus of their offensive firepower this year. And, and everybody else is kind of, you know, doing very much what happened in this game. They just got barely enough from those two guys to make it happen. But yeah, I, I you know... I suppose you keep an eye on it, but Xavier eleven. Yeah, I think they have won eleven in a row coming into coming into last night. Um, they hadn't lost since November twenty seventh. They hadn't scored less than seventy three points all season. Excuse me, sorry. Since a since they scored sixty four against Duke on November twenty fifth in a loss, so they're going to be fine. It's one of those things, you know, if, you know, if, if the best teams in the conference didn't lose games like this every year, then teams would go undefeated in conference play more often. Like these things just happen. Mm-hmm. Um, as for, as for UConn and Seton Hall, I've never seen a team just lose. And I can't remember who used this word. Maybe it was you who was telling me. Oh no no no! If someone someone tweeted, someone responded to me about about a Butler tweet uh, after Butler lost yet another game by twenty points in the Big East. They said that that Chris Ballard after the the Colts season said that the Colts lost their competitive confidence, which I think is a great term. I think that's I like great. That. Mm-hmm. Um, and was pointing out how they felt like Butler had lost their competitive confidence. It seems like UConn has lost their competitive confidence. Yep. 
and I'm not really sure how you get it back. Yeah. I mean, other than just winning basketball games, but Mm -hmm. that is way, way easier said than done. I mean, thankfully like their next three games are Butler, Xavier, DePaul and Georgetown and the Xavier game is at home. So like this would be a really nice get right stretch. I mean, maybe you can get one against Xavier at home, but like, you should mop the floor with Butler, DePaul, and Georgetown. You should. We'll see if they actually do, but you should. DePaul just beat Xavier at home, so like, it is in the cards for them to do enough to beat one of the better teams in the Big East on their home floor. But if they don't get right, then they go Marquette, Creighton, Seton Hall, Providence in four straight games. So, like, this could this they need to get right now. Or it could unravel even more than than it has at this point. But I've never seen a team. All right, we were talking about this team not trailing in the second half, mm-hmm. winning every game by double digits. That was less than a month ago that we were talking about that. Heading into the new year, you know, they lost to Xavier on December thirty first, but basically heading into the new year, they were fourteen and zero, and being talked about as the best team in the country. And they are a far cry from that at this point. And I think the other interesting dynamic of this I want to throw out there is I don't feel like personality-wise the Hurleys are are built to stop skids and kind of sort of through force of will fix things. And right there, they're, what what you get with the Hurleys that's so beneficial is the intensity, the energy, the toughness all the things that made UConn so good at the first part of this season. It's, it's a lot of emotion. It's not as what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, I don't want to say thoughtful as if they're not thinking, because that's, that's not what I'm trying to get across, but right. It's a lot of emotion rather than kind of the psychological side of it. Sure. And so, there is kind of the downside to that, that when things go poorly, it's not a sort of methodical problem-solving mindset. And right. Okay. So I guess the example I'm kind of thinking of is Tony Bennett as a opposite to Dan Hurley, right? I will continue to say, I believe Tony Bennett is one of the biggest reasons why Virginia went from losing as a one seed to winning a national championship, because just he is wired to be able to absorb those kind of things, to be able to adjust, to be able to problem solve. He never gets too high, never gets too low. Nothing mm-hmm. is the end of the world. And, right, complete opposite when you're talking about the Hurleys. So I am curious in that part of this too, right? It's things like getting a technical foul in that Xavier game when they're you just couldn't afford to. That also kind of can snowball if... I'm just throwing out reasons as to why this is happening because it's beyond my comprehension at this point it's just way easier to pump up a train that's rolling than dial yourself back and pump up a train that's come to a complete and utter stop and this is not a criticism of of dan hurley in particular as if he is you know solely unqualified to fix this problem it's just there are very few people who I would have faith in to turn something like this around quickly. And his personality doesn't lend itself to that. But right, it's this isn't about him. This is about all the things going wrong and still being unable to fix them. Yeah. So thank you for 
kind of elaborating on that. Um, couple other things like Adamus Sonogo's got to stay out of foul trouble. It's two games in a row. It's nine fouls in two games. He fouled out of this one. Um, and I think we're kind of maybe settling into a, I need at least two of those guards to play well. That seems to be the, the formula. I mean, we saw Jordan Hawkins get 31 and the other two guys were non-existent in a loss in this game. You know, Jordan Hawkins was fine. Tristan Newton got to the line six times, which is the only reason he had 11 points. But still, between the four, the three of them, they only had eight field goals. Their impact just isn't great enough. And I don't know what the deal is with Sonogo. Like, but I, I think it all comes back to at some point, in some way, shape, or form, they've got to find their confidence again. Mm-hmm. They're just not playing with the same yep. swagger that they were a month ago. And the only way to get that back is to win basketball games, which is, you know, you can play as well in practice as you want to. It's not going to come back until they start winning basketball games consistently again. And the further you get from where we were a month ago, the harder that is going to be to actually happen. And, you know, do I think UConn, I mean, maybe, you know, they're probably somewhere in between the two in terms of the team that they were for the first 14 games and the team they've been for the last three weeks. But the further you get from that team you were for the first 14 games, the harder it is to get it back at any point, right? Because it doesn't really matter what you've been all season as long as you're the best form of yourself by the time the NCAA tournament comes around. And I mean, it's January 19th, like we're not quite there, but now we're, we're officially, you know, less than two months away from the NCAA tournament. So at some point you got to figure it out and that's way easier said than done. Yeah. I really like the competitive confidence thing. Yeah. You just kind of right. so much of this is built on kind of the, the swagger, the energy, the intensity, the imposing your will on people and that's gone right now. And yeah. It's not easy to get it back, but they need to. Marquette, eighty-three seventy-five win over Providence. They just keep doing the thing where they shoot 50% from the field. <laughs> they knock down half of their threes and get to the free throw line 20 times, and it's really hard to stop them from scoring 80 points when they do all of those things. Um, Cam Jones, 21-4-3-3 on 8-14 shooting. Four of the five guys in the starting lineup were in double figures. Tyler Kolick, 19 points, six assists, eight rebounds. 12 points off the bench, that's fine. But that starting lineup is is absolutely clicking. Another another good win for Marquette, this time at home, over, over the Friars of Providence. What say you? Yeah, the first thing that stands out to me about this game is Providence needs Jared Bynum back. Mm-hmm. It is a one-man show and a a plan A, plan B offensive attack right now. Plan A being Bryce Hopkins and plan B being offensive rebounding. Mm. <laughs> that's about all that's that's happening right now for the Friars. Shouts to Ed Crosswell. Yes, Ed Crosswell and Bryce Hopkins did some damage on the glass. It's the only reason Providence was able to even hang in this game. Because I did, th- I, there was a moment I thought it was going to get out of hand, but they they did rally and at least make it competitive. Which so you look at the end of the day, that's a game you're expecting to lose. It's not a big deal if you're Providence. 
there's just a glaring hole in terms of offensive creativity and also decision-making from the point guard position because turnovers were a problem too, especially Mm -hmm. in the first half. And you let Marquette start running with how efficient they already are offensively because they're going to create turnovers even if they're bad defensively. It just kind of compounds all of the issues. So to me, this is I'm I'm coming away thinking more about Providence than Marquette because Marquette did what I expect Marquette to do, which is, you know, a very high compliment. I, it's just, it's difficult when you don't have the guy who is your best isolation scorer, your kind of your shot creator and your primary facilitator out there on the floor. If you're Providence, there's still a very good team without him, right? It's, he hasn't been spectacular this season or anything, but he's the kind of player that gives you a chance to win at Marquette that in a game that, just the players they have right now, it's not good enough because Marquette is that good. I mean, in Providence is three guys that have been major contributors all season. They were, they were all pretty good, mm-hmm. but you're right at some point in a game that you're probably supposed to lose anyways, right? Not being able to click on all cylinders because you don't have all of your guys is sometimes all it takes to just not really have a chance in a game. Um, like you said, Bryce Hopkins, 19 and 10, 19, 10 and four at Crosswell, 20 and seven. Those two guys combined for 10 offensive rebounds. Um, Devin Carter had 18 on five of nine, got to the free throw line seven times, had four rebounds, three assists, two steals and one block. Stuffing the stat sheet in the way that we've come to, to be accustomed to, uh, by Devin Carter. And then after that, it just kind of falls off cliff, right? Um, Noah Locke didn't have a great night. You know, of course, Noah Locke, a guy who a guy who plays starter minutes and is not, you know, the guy that's quite as much out of his out of his element there, but had five points on two of eleven shooting. He's not a three point shooter who didn't hit threes. That's right. You're not getting much out of him when he's not knocking down shots. Yeah. Right. Um and then Alan Breed did not have a great game either. And when you're playing a team as good as Marquette, that's having three guys clicking when the other team has five guys clicking. Sometimes it doesn't have to be more more difficult than that. Yep. It just is what it is. Yep. And as a result, Marquette, another win. 15-5 and five on the season at this point. Second in the Big East, apart from the loss to Xavier. Um, not doing a ton of losing. They did lose to Providence at Providence, so the two teams splitting the season series. Um, and they have a they have a, a a pretty nice stretch here in the next four games or so. Um, they do go at Seton Hall on Saturday, but then they go to Paul Villanova Butler, so they could be in a in a position where they've. They've really got a bunch of Big East wins under the under their belt in you know a couple weeks or so. Strange night. <laughs> All right, I want to start the Big East con- the Big Twelve conversation with this. On Tuesday night, Iowa State and Kansas State beat Kansas and Texas. Do you know where Kansas and Texas were picked in the Big Twelve preseason poll, Josh? One and two, two and three. Two and Baylor. Three. Was oh, one. I forgot about Baylor. Baylor was one. Yeah. Um, two and three. Do you know where Kansas State and Iowa State were picked? Kansas State was last. 
Yep. I'm going to say Iowa State was eighth. Iowa State was eighth. That's correct. Mm. Iowa State was eighth. Kansas State was 10th. And on Tuesday night, as the number 12 and 13 ranked teams in the AP poll, in the AP poll, they beat Texas and Kansas on their home floors. Um, and didn't feel like a fluke. No. You know, like like those are just two basketball teams that are in the same conversation as as Kansas and Texas. So that's where that's just where I want to start with how you know the reason that we're so blown away by how good the Big 12 is this year is because two of the teams that are best teams in the conference were supposed to be two of the worst teams in the conference, according to the coaches poll. And when you do that, you can even withstand something like Baylor just being a normal top 25 team and not an elite team and still have your conference blow away everybody else from, from top to bottom. And we can get into these games specifically here in just a moment. But I mean, at this point you've got, all of your teams inside the top 38 at Kempom, except for Texas Tech. Um, and Kansas, Iowa State, Kansas, Texas, Kansas, Iowa State, Kansas State, Texas, TCU, Baylor. Like that is a that is an impressive top six in your conference. Yeah. And by the way, TCU lost last night too. TCU did lose last night. <laughs> to West Virginia. Just to go add some more proof of how deep this conference is. For sure. For sure. Um, Games specifically on Tuesday night in overtime in Manhattan. The Little Apple, by the way, is one of my favorite (laughs) nicknames for any any uh, town, college town, place of residence for a university. And then they've got the Octagon of Doom. I mean, it's a great one two combo. It really is. Um, The the Little Apple is such a W nickname. Um, Eighty three, eighty two in overtime. Keontae Johnson, 24 points. Desi Sills off the bench, 24 points as well. Probably the biggest thing to touch on, you know, that, you know, and Jalen Wilson had 38 points in this game. (laughs) Um, 12 of 25 from the field, got to the free throw line 12 times. He had 38 and nine in this game. Um, But probably the biggest development from this one above all else is that Kansas State beat Kansas and Marquise Noel had four points on two of eight shooting and did not have and we 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 got a win from Jerome Tang's squad that exactly answered the question that I asked on the last pod, and that was for them to get some meaningful contribution in big games from other guys. And like still it really was I'd love for the distribution to be better because there were still only three guys in double figures in this game. But the the big development is that it wasn't Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel and enter some other guy who had 10. It was two guys with 24. Uh, Naquan Tomlin had 15 and 10, a double-double in this game. He was, and it was really enough, good. Really good. Really, really good. Fouled out in overtime, I think. Maybe yeah, I think you're right. That sounds right. But mm-hmm. I, I think it was in overtime. Yeah. But was really impactful in this one. But that's a big development for Drum Tank Squad. Yeah, the, the rest of that squad took what you said personally. Yes. <laughs> they, yes and particularly well, Tom Wynn well, and, and Desi Sills. Right. But, Everybody else wasn't all that wasn't all that uh, taken aback considering the other three guys, the other four guys that played not named Marquise Noel were combined two of nine, four of 12, 
four of 13 from the field. So I think, I think it was Desi that was really like, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's got us, he's got us taped inside his locker at this point. Yeah. And this team is so interesting in that way because, you know, Desi Sills has a track record and it hasn't really been a great season for him so far, but it's not stunning that he's capable of doing this. He, he's been around the block at playing at a high level and, he was, yeah, he was great. That was the thing I kept thinking about during this game too, is look at all these guys making plays, not named Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. Look at Marquise Noel. I mean, credit to him. He, yeah, he couldn't buy a bucket, but he still made some key plays, you know, some steals. He got a really good look at the end of regulation. It didn't go in. Then he jumped on the loose ball and it flew away from him, went out of bounds. He, But he still found a way to make an impact, which is difficult to do at his size when your game is predicated on offense. So credit to him for kind of hanging in there on the Kansas side of this. Yeah. And knocked uh, away the ball in the final possession. I think he was the one who got his hand, got his hand in there on the final mm -hmm. possession that ended, you know, yeah, we're playing volleyball with the ball for the last three seconds of the game. But I think it was Marquise Noel who got a finger on, on, was it Jalen Wilson driving to his left? I think it was. Yeah, I don't remember, maybe. but it's all in the corner. I couldn't tell what was happening. Yeah. Right. But to your Impacting point, but to your point. Yeah. Until yeah. the final second, even though he did not, uh, he was not great in the offensive end. Can just need somebody else to score the basketball. I mean, it was a three headed monster and now it's a, it, in this game, it was a two headed monster. And <laughs> by the end, <laughs> it was Shayla Wilson and some dudes <laughs> out mm -hmm. there because everybody kept falling out. I mean, I think the, the I was trying to remember. I think the final team out there was who was it? Yesifu, Pettiford, Wilson, Clements, and oh, who was yeah, the last Dwan guy? Harris it was Dwan Harris. I think it might right, 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 because the other guy who fouled out was Kevin McCuller. Yeah, it was yeah. McCuller, McCuller, KJ Adams, and yes. Green Dick were yes. the ones who fouled out. Yeah, so yeah, Dwan Harris was the other guy. That's right. <laughs> And Dwan Harris was not having a good game offensively. I mean, he no. was doing his thing with passing the ball, but from a scoring standpoint, you know, there was just nothing left, which is mm -hmm. where I got, I mean, the other thing I was thinking about, did did somebody want to try and force Jalen Wilson to go left at some point? I mean, he just, every possession came, for, it felt like, you know, came from the left side of the floor to the right side of the floor, got the ball with a head of steam and just went to the basket on the right side. You can't yeah. do anything about it. You got to yeah. stop. You got to stop the actual play from the yeah, right. 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 Once he's downhill, it's over. Yeah. And especially when he's playing this way. I mean, he was sensational. Just that was the one thing from a Kansas State perspective. Can, can we make some kind of adjustment there? Especially when he's the only guy left that you're really worried about. Right. You know? And he very nearly stole this game basically by himself. And he should have because Bill Self called an inexcusable timeout. And Bill like, Self had a couple. Yeah. I mean, and he had the shot that he pulled up from, I mean, 30 feet and drilled right after Bill Self called a timeout. Yeah, that's that what I'm talking, talking about. about? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. It, like at it, some point you just have to like, like that's weird that you, because the because it's not like he called a timeout kind of right before there was a loose ball and it ended up in Jalen Wilson's hands. Right. You know, four seconds after the timeout, like Jalen Smith was stepping into this three from granted from 30 feet. <laughs> but at some point when your best players got 38, just let them just let them go, especially because like you probably weren't going to win this game if it, like 
at some point you're just running out of players. So like your best chance to win that game at this point is probably him just taking this good look he's got, even though it's from a gajillion feet away. Yeah. Like I get it. I understand it. I would really understand it more if Jalen Wilson didn't have 38 at that time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like, yeah. I, I just like, I'm, I'm a little surprised the instinct there was to call a timeout and not let your best player see if he can make a shot. Cause he drilled it, drilled yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, um, and right, hindsight's twenty twenty because if he calls the timeout and and Jalen Wilson misses the three, then we're not even talking about this. Right. So like, I get that, and I don't. It, it's it's way different than some other coaching blunders, right? But I like he called it quick, and that was the part that surprised me more than anything, is that the instinct was not to let Jalen Wilson try to make a play, and yeah. that was that was that one caught me off guard. And that then rubs against both of our adamant insistence of running real offense at the end of games. Right. You know, Shouts so. to Purdue at Michigan State. We didn't get, we didn't, I, I forgot <laughs> to mention this on the last pod. <laughs> Purdue was like Matt Eady, Matt Eady, Zach, I was going to say Zach Painter. Oh my Lord. Um, <laughs> Matt Painter said, you know what? They were playing Zach Eady one on one all game. Let's just give it to Zach Eady in the final possession. It's almost it's crazy what happens when you run offense that gets you your best shot. Yeah. So crazy, I, crazy town. I have a hard time really getting on Bill Self for that because the idea was to yeah. get a better shot. At the same right. time, though, I from a sort of calculation standpoint, I I would be willing to make an exception there. If you right, if you lose because Jalen Wilson missed a shot, I mean, <laughs> on that night, you just kind of have to have to live with that too. And it was, it was, yeah, it was weird. Like you said about kind of the, the way it all played out and when the timeout was taken. And I also just don't totally like, like I just, I'm not sure that because you're going to draw up a play for Jalen Wilson anyways. Right. So what are the chances actually that Jalen Wilson's going to get a better look than that uncontested three from three feet behind the line? Like what are the, like, He's not going to get an, a more open look. That's for sure. Now, maybe he gets a slightly open pull-up jumper from 12 feet or is able to get to the rim. But at some point, like that might just be the the best look he'd get in that sequence. If Yeah. Because if you call a timeout, they're going to they're gonna draw up a defense that's sole point is to stop Jalen Wilson from getting a good look and forcing yeah. somebody else to beat you. Anyways, right. I, I agree with you that I, that I don't like, I don't really, I don't really have an issue with it. Like that's, that would be a weird thing. Cause like I said, the only reason we're talking about it is because the shot went in after yeah. the timeout. So yeah. I'm not really, it's not the same kind of coach, coaching blunder. That's for sure. It just, um, like I said, it just it, it implied a a decision to pull the trigger on a timeout faster than just letting your best player try to make a play. My counter would be: I saw Jalen Wilson get to his right where he wanted to go way too many times for me to believe sure. that it was. And that was my thought. Every single one of those possessions Kansas had at the end that didn't work too is I just expected Jalen Wilson to get where he wanted to because, and eventually Kansas State made the plays they needed to, and stopped that from happening in. <laughs> A, a, no sooner than they needed to and no later than they needed to, exactly when they needed to to win that game. Right. The other thing I want to talk about here quickly, I didn't think I could love Jerome Tang anymore, and I was wrong. 
what he said after this game, man, I love this guy. Did you see any of what he, I think he said all of this stuff while he was on top of the scorer's table. Did you see any of this? Um, I saw that he was on top of the scorer's table talking <laughs> to the entire building, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, the only quote I saw, and maybe it was not actually on the night, I saw something basically about him saying that the platform he was given to impact like young people's lives was basketball, was was a basketball coach. And I don't know, that sounds like the kind of thing that certainly I would eat up and that I know you would eat up as well. But if there was something else, I did see something about that. But if there are other things, then you'll have to enlighten me. Yeah, I think that was in the context of trying to trying to get the student section to stop denigrating Kansas. Ah, uh, okay. Which gotcha. was the first thing I wanted to bring up is however you feel about you know what fans should or should not say and whether coaches should get involved. I will always go to bat for the coach who actually sort of holds themselves accountable for fan behavior and understands that they are one of the few people on the planet that might actually be able to impact the way people are behaving sure. because they're the head coach. Right. I will always go to bat for that. So yes, that was the first thing. The second thing I loved even more, <laughs> he said something to the effect of, okay, you got this court storming no more because from this point on we expect to win. And I don't, I know, yes. you're, big, I know oh. you're big on this too. Yeah. This idea that it's not that I'm opposed to court storming. But court storming inherently implies you did not expect to win. You do not have confidence in your team. Yeah. Right. Okay. DePaul was, I think it was one in 38 against top 10 teams since 2007 heading into that game last night. Go ahead and storm the court. Nobody's yeah. pretending like DePaul expected to win that game. Right. Yes. The excitement is, oh my gosh, we did. We finally got this win. Right. Right. If you are a number 12 team in a country and trying to instill, get this program back to a, elite, you know, top 25 program in the country, relevant on the national stage, all of that stuff. Sure. Go ahead and celebrate the first one against Kansas. That was a special moment. What's happening this season is incredible. And then you stop because you expect to win every single game played in that building. That has to be your mindset. You're not Mm -hmm. going to win every single one, but you should no longer be surprised when you beat Kansas at home because if you are, that is a defeatist attitude. Jerome Tang doesn't have that. He's not putting up with it, and I love him for it. Yeah, that's that's so spot on. It's so spot on. It's my. It is, and 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 it, and it creates a, it instills in his players as well. This idea of, and and into the fan base where they expect their program to be because nothing tells you more about where a program actually is than the reaction to a win that ultimately is not like, like is a big deal. And and my favorite thing is to like go and look at teams that are in, that are theoretically blue bloods, but they get one like real win and they absolutely lose their minds about it. Mm -hmm. You know, who never loses their minds about any win ever other than a national championship like the Duke program yep. and their fans and Kansas. Virginia and their fans and Kansas and their fans. And um, like, they just don't lose their minds about beating. And yes, massive ricochet shot at Indiana right now, beating a North Carolina team that's stumbling everywhere that it goes by 15 at home. 
yep. people don't you know, like like that's just not and 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 he did it appropriately because it's also a dicey game to tell your fans to not be excited about a win against Kansas, right? right? right. And so he found a way to do to do a little bit of both. Yep. Like this is awesome. No one's telling you it's not awesome. Um, and when we beat another, like when Texas comes in here and we beat them on this floor, it'll right. be awesome. But you guys aren't going to storm the court like we weren't ready for it. Right. And right. and that is, yeah, that's spot on. Um, it's a great way to put it. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm totally cool with court storming. I've court stormed myself. Yep. And, and I will, but, I have very specific reasons why I will defend that court storm. Right. But, and I also know. said the exact same thing after it that by and large, because I, and even I, because we're thinking about the same thing, right? The Villanova game. The first Villanova game. I yes. mean, they, they stormed twice, but specifically the first one. Okay. Uh, with, you know, when we were freshmen. Because yes. they, they stormed the, they stormed, we stormed sophomore year as well. Right, right, right. And that was, I think freshman year was also, right? A top 25 Xavier team came in a couple of weeks after that. I believe so. And I was really, and, Thankfully, there was no court storming. I was real. I was honestly sitting there hoping there was no court storming because at that point, I was going to be real upset. And then, and then in reason. nineteen, and then in nineteen twenty, when Kamar hit the buzzer beater over Colin Gillespie inside Hinkle Fieldhouse, mm-hmm. that Villanova team was good too. And yeah. Butler didn't Butler didn't storm the court then either. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there, we're, there are we're certain the circumstances. I'm totally cool with this one. I just love that that's the mindset already. This guy is. Why somebody didn't why somebody didn't convince him to take their job all these years is beyond me. At this rate, we're gonna look up and Josh is gonna have drone tan, drone tan's <laughs> face just tattooed <laughs> on his left bicep. Um <laughs> uh but yeah, Kansas State continues to continues to move sixteen and two on the season at this point. Also on Tuesday night, Indiana Indiana State, Iowa State a seventy-eight sixty-seven win over texas you got caleb grill advising the texas bench to call a timeout um you've got jaron too funny oh it was perfect it is the in like like caleb grill with a haircut he's rocking right now like that is the perfect reaction to hitting a three like that um jaron holmes 21 gabe kelsher 16 that was where the majority of your of your offensive contributions came from um Texas not a great night offensively. They were fine from the field ultimately 46%, but 4 of 17 17 from the three point line. Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr not the best of games. And um Iowa State ultimately winning a game that they controlled for, you know, that they never really felt like was in doubt, you know, by the time we got to the to the under four timeout in uh in the second half there were you know, moments that it could have gone one way or the other, but Iowa State kept making plays and kind of held Texas at bay in Ames for for the better part of uh, uh, at least late in the second half, and and they come away with with yet another with yet another win against a you know, and they're one point away from a week in which they beat Texas and Kansas, or at least yeah. the same four day stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was twenty nine eighteen Texas with seven twenty eight left in the first half. Mm. That is the other important thing to to note here that is what you were alluding to, that Texas was incredibly good offensively for the first five to eight minutes of this game. And they got this lead because of it, and then they held on to it as both teams kind of went back and forth. And then Iowa State said, right, we're an elite defensive team. And 
that was kind of that. <laughs> they just they put the clamps down, got the crowd into the game, and yeah, it was you know Texas did make a couple little surges in the second half to try and cut the deficit. It was very much in the sort of five to ten points, never really in doubt. Pretty comfortable win in the end, especially considering who your opponent was. Every Iowa State starter was good. This team also doesn't turn the ball over. Again, you have a very intelligent freshman point guard, just like Tyrese Hunter last year, that kind of might get lost in all of the other things in the defense and Gabe Kelsher. And that's part of this too, is <laughs> they're not going to score that many points. So you got to make sure you maximize your possessions and you don't waste them. And mm-hmm. again, they're doing that this season. You combine that with the offensive versatility. We talked about this, right? Jaron Holmes, spectacular in this game with a massive problem for a very good Texas defense. You don't, Gabe Kelser's not going to give you 20 every game. He's going to hit some timely threes for you. He's a terrific defender. Sometimes you need somebody else to carry the scoring load. And they have guys, whether it's Caleb Grill, whether it's Jaron Holmes, who are capable of doing that. And that allows you to check every single box and handle Texas the way they did. Yeah. TJ Otzelberger is quickly becoming the coach who knows exactly what he wants from players in his program and knows how to go and find those players to kind of put it together. And this was another good example of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Some timely shots. They had a guy kind of take the lead offensively, play some good defense and, ultimately do exactly what you should do if you're a top 15 team in the country at home. If you're the top, if you're a top 15 team in the country at home, if a top eight team, a top, you know, can Texas seventh in the AP poll in the, you know, on the night of this game, you know, ultimately if you're the 12th best team in the country, you should be able to protect your home court. And they did that. And there are a few coaches in the country right now that look that have been at their you know respective schools a relatively short amount of time and look as comfortable as TJ Otzelberger does on the sidelines in Ames right now and uh it's it's super fun to watch because it it feels repeatable and you know the the most important thing for a program like Iowa State to to narrow in on is the type of guys who can come to Ames and who want to come to Ames and play the type of basketball that TJ Otzenberger wants to play. And at the very least with this group, he's, he's absolutely found that and found a way to not only make that happen, but then turned it into big 12 success, which is something that they didn't do last year. Yeah. And just think about the starting lineup to your point about knowing what he wants and, and finding a way to make it click immediately. Right. You got more trans, you got Gabe Kelsher who was there last season was a big part of that team. You got Caleb Grill, who's now in this elevated role. You got a freshman point guard and two transfers, right? So it's this is not, I mean, there are some pieces from last season, but it's not like TCU where you're going, oh, they're going to be great again because look at all the, you know, they were good. Look at what they did against Arizona and they got all these guys Mm -hmm. coming back. Right. The story of the Iowa State offseason was Tyrese Hunter bailed. Right. And they just went and beat Tyrese Hunter on their home floor with, his replacement essentially as your new freshman point guard, you know, St. Bonaventure transfers. And right there, there was nothing on this. And we even talked about this preseason. I said, you know, just kind of what they did last season. I got to give TJ Otzelberger the benefit of the doubt and consider him an NCAA tournament team. 
even though the pieces might not suggest it because he just found a way to make it work last season and he might be able to do it again. And boy, has he ever it's. And in this day and age where so much is coming and going every single season, for whatever reasons, going back to Fred Hoiberg, but especially now with kind of this year over year turnover, finding a guy that knows how to move pieces in and out this effectively is a massive bonus if you're Iowa State. It might be the single most important skill mm-hmm. for a for a program of Iowa State's caliber. Yep. Right. Because as as good as the last, you know, ten or so years have been for Iowa State, you know, they've had some man, Iowa State is bad years, but they've also had some, I mean, right, it hasn't been that long since your boy was here. Um, and that they were winning Big Twelve tournaments and beating Kansas and they they, they didn't make they didn't beat Kansas earlier this week or, you know, seven days ago, but they came close and you know but the point being is that you're just not going to woo transfers by your name in the way that some other schools Mm -hmm. can right so finding those guys that you can get to come play for you is is important and figuring out how to recognize which players are going to fit the best it might be the most single important skill for a college basketball coach to have right now and tj osterberger seems to have it yep it's either that or being able to retain talent And to your point about this situation in particular, there's only so much you can do to retain talent if you're Iowa State. Right. I don't think anybody did that. And maybe I'm, you know, I don't know what happened with Tyrese Hunter. I don't think anybody did anything, quote unquote, wrong to make that happen. He just looked at it and said, I can go anywhere in the country. I can go to a university that's going to pay me all this money in NIL that Iowa State just doesn't have. I'm going to take advantage of it. That it's the reality of being Iowa State and right. So you got to find a way to make it work, kind of cheat the system. Fred Hoiberg started it. TJ Altsberger is continuing it. And, and and I won't act like Iowa State is struggling to fund their athletic programs no. or anything like that. But um, it is cool to see these right in the Big 12 right now, a conference that yep. is as elite as, as it is, to see it headlined by while being headlined by teams like Kansas and like Texas um, equally as important on those headlines are teams like Iowa state and Kansas state. Yeah. That's just cool to see. And a guy like, I mean, they were talking on the broadcast that Marquise Noel was talking to Kansas state's AD about coaches. And at right. one point said, hire Jerome Tang, right? Just the fact that Marquise Noel is being rewarded and just, and getting to play such a, a key role in this story is awesome because he chose to stay. And he yeah. chose to believe in the, you know, the the school that believed in him. He chose to believe in Jerome Tang's vision. And yeah, these are just awesome stories that are a reminder of the good things in college sports and that the Blue Bloods don't always win. At least in the regular yes, season. Sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I mean the list of the list of blue bloods that we're impressed by this year is not very long. Mm-hmm. I mean it's, very true. it's it's Kansas and UCLA. Is there anybody else that we're truly impressed by? Yeah, I mean I mean, if we were considering Gonzaga <laughs> blue blood at this point, then like they're having a, I mean, yeah. but like we're certainly not blown not away impressed. by them. Yeah. Duke, every time I actually no. like have any, like actually watch them play, it's because they're down by 17 to NC state on the mm-hmm. road. Um, yeah. Obviously Kentucky, North Carolina, Michigan state's fine, but nothing to write home about. Right. Villanova really struggling. Yeah. It's a good point. That's all I'm saying.
that it doesn't it doesn't that, that sometimes this is why to be as cliche as possible this is why you play the games. play the game Josh. that's right that's why you play the games um you got anything else big 12 big east otherwise anything no i don't think so i think i'm out of stuff too um as as has become to a certain extent a a, a practice on the js for days podcast um nothing too major on the schedule on thursday or friday Rutgers is at Michigan State. That'll be a fun one uh, in the Big Ten. Big, big. Look at Steve Peichel. Now he's landed big time recruits too. I, I will say that. Um, number <laughs> eighteen in the country, Charleston, and nineteen and one plays the one and seventeen Monmouth. What is it? Monarchs? Is that right? Sorry, Hawks. Oh, I'm not going to pretend like I knew that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Um, <laughs> at least not off the top of my head. Um, but that's the. Oh, and UCLA is at Arizona State. You know, the 15 and three team that's still finding ways to not be ranked. Um, that game is tonight. Friday, no top 25 teams in action. Saturday, my number 17, Miami, is at Duke. Duke is 9 and 0 at home this season, has yet to lose inside Cameron Endor. So that's at least something to keep an eye on. TCU is at Kansas. UCLA gets Arizona at the McHale Center. So that one will be. That's a big time matchup. Yeah, big there. stretch for UCLA here. They win yep. these two. They're flying away from it. It might everybody. just be over. It might just yeah. be over. It might just, <laughs> just, just, just mail it in. Um, Marquette is at Seton Hall, a Seton Hall team that just beat UConn. Alabama is at Missouri. That's a sneaky, sneaky good SEC matchup on Saturday evening. Not the most loaded of Saturday schedules, but still some good games in there. Sunday afternoon. Uh, the Butler Bulldogs on the road at, in stores to play a pissed off UConn team. That'll be fun. Um, and the we've fallen off a bridge and can't be found anywhere ever. Uh, the Maryland Terrapins are at Purdue on on Sunday afternoon. Uh, a lighter week. Um, that's not not an accident. That it's not an absolutely loaded weekend slate when it's the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. That's probably not. That's probably not complete coincidence, but still some good games, and I'm sure there will be something to talk about by the time we get to Monday. Anything else that you want to touch on before we get out of here? No, let's get out of here. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod, YouTube, TikTok, all of those fun things. And we'll be back on Monday. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh, and we will see you later.